Hey everybody, and welcome to another installment of the Ember Sword Podcast. I'm Svetlin, your humble host, and I'm here with Lauren, our executive producer. Today, we're going to be talking about building an MMO one piece at a time. Lauren, welcome. Thank you, Svetlin. So, massive games. We've all had some experiences with them, and building them is certainly no small chore. Hell, releasing them to a whole bunch of people can be a terrifying experience, especially for developers. I mean, there's been some disasters in recent years. Just to name a few, Diablo 3's whole fiasco about just flat out not working for a whole week. Both Destiny games, which are heralded as almost the pinnacle of life service games nowadays, those launched in an appalling state, you know, lacking content, eventually content being cut out. So releasing a massive game is no small feat, certainly. So Lauren, my question to you is, how are we going to make sure that doesn't happen with us and it's actually, you know, a great experience? Oh, well, you know, there's always praying and, and hoping for the best, but... <laughs> but yeah, you know, sure Bungie has a little rosary <laughs> on every single one of their deaths. Absolutely, absolutely. No, uh, but, you know, all kidding aside, um, the reality is that uh, when you're building something as massive as an MMO and you're then releasing that all pretty much in one go, you know, despite having maybe had some kind of limited beta test, which is then, you know, something that at least limits your exposure a little bit. Um, it's, you know, typically never sufficient to, you know, to get to a really good release. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of, I think, mistakes made in that arena in terms of pushing things out that just had not been broadly enough, let's say, subjected to the community and some level of, like, you know, broader scrutiny and heavier load testing. Well, yeah, shit, more to the point, beta nowadays isn't even used correctly most of the time. I envision Fallout 76 when I say that, you know, they had a beta, what, two weeks before the game launched? That That's not a good outlook. That doesn't help anybody. No, no, exactly, exactly. And that's, that's kind of more to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we checked if our servers kind of survived with the amount of people joining, right? And then when, you know, 10 to 20 to 30, more, 30 times more people join, obviously everything falls apart. Uh, but, you know, that is only the technical part of the spectrum, right? That's like, you know, the, the infamous Diablo error that lasted for about a week that basically locked everyone out of the game. God, that you was know, nuts. It, it's terrible, but on the other hand, that's easy to fix. I mean, uh, comparatively to, let's say, launching a game which just had, you know, has had insufficient iteration time on particular features because, indeed, you went into beta two weeks before launch, two months before launch, heck, even half a year before launch can be way too little time for a game as massive as an MMO to, for example, tune how your pve combat feels or how your pvp combat feels uh you know all these kind of things uh even player created content etc etc they just benefit so much from spending more time in the hands of the players with the devs kind of mindfully watching seeing what do people do with this how are they experiencing it is everything working the way we would like it to work? Uh, or are there things that we can change and that we can improve, right? So uh, so that is basically something that is, is really important to us when we're working on Ember Sword here. Uh, and the way we're actually trying to do that with Ember Sword is rather than pushing out this you know, enormous MMO 
all at once, uh, we're actually breaking it up into little chunks, little experiences, and then sort of rolling these experiences out progressively, first to like a, a rather intimate, smaller testing audience, and eventually all the way to the community, uh, basically ensuring that actual slices of our game, you might even say full-on fun little game experiences, are playable already long before the game is done. Now, you know, that, you know, aside from the fact that it gets us lots of uh, awesome data when it comes to testing and improving our gameplay, you know, the additional uh, bonus element to it, of course, is that, you know, as part of the community, you'll also slowly get to experience more and more elements of what Ember Sword is going to bring to the table rather than, you know, sort of just uh, having to wait it out for years uh, only to you know then find out kind of what the game is going to be like so we, we'd much rather uh, once a piece of the game is far enough along that we're ready to share it with you share that with you and you know grow based off that it's honestly reassuring to hear that at least somebody is taking this like iterative process of game development seriously because <laughs> again I've uh, I'm very into live games uh, a lot of them so and, and most of them like i said horrible horrible launches so to to hear that this is how we're approaching ember sword is you know really really good uh on the topic what are those experiences that we're working on right well you know uh obviously we have have quite a lineup of them of them waiting but there is like currently three core ones that I can tell you a little bit about that we are working on. Um, and all of them center um, around our PVE experience. Um, those experiences are an arena, an outdoor adventure near a place called Tycho Village, and our very first raid-like experience in a place called the Ultra Deep. Ooh. So these are kind of experiences that allow us to play around with our PvE experience, with the way creatures uh, react when they're fighting the players, with our AI game master that is dealing with, uh, you know, with these cinematic moments that we're trying to create, which, by the way, I covered in an, an, another podcast with you, right? Uh, yeah. We're doing so much interesting stuff there, actually, uh, just on the sort of micro level of what's going on in your screen that we want to be able to test that out early we want to really see that you know when people get out into the arena for example uh, that they have an experience of pve that yields some really epic uh, experiences footage you know uh etc that that's something that you can do together in in a really fun and interesting way um and that kind of then is expanded further because you know the arena being a fairly closed environment is actually a place where you'll fight wave after wave of opponents um and then uh after that you know once we're kind of happy with how things are going there we hope to push out that outdoor adventure where uh you'll once again face sort of a you know a co-op pve adventure uh, but there are more questing elements in there, and we're talking about a much more complicated environment with some obstacles in it, etc., etc., uh, that you can make use of and that we can make use of in interesting ways uh, for the creatures that you're fighting. 
and then finally the dungeon raid kind of you know takes it one step further to some really complex and closed environments uh, where you're basically taking on a, a sort of guided uh, raid through the dungeon uh, you know, activating machines, waiting for elevators to come down, uh, beating bosses, etc. Uh, kind of, you know, uh, as if uh, WoW had uh, years before its release released, you know, <laughs> the first Ragnaros raid or something like that to, to its audience, right? So we just want to make sure that all these different aspects of the game experience are already built out to be fun and they're working well and we've exposed players to them and indeed you know some of these are quite the juicy adventures they'll start out like you know with single levels if you will but as we go further we'll basically release layer after layer of such an adventure so for example for the ultra deep right when we first bring this out towards our testers maybe even later the community right uh, you'll be able to play maybe only like the level one floor right of that dungeon uh which you know might be something that is like a 10 15 minute adventure you can go on with your friends but as we push further down and increase the level of complexity and challenges that you're going to get eventually you'll be able to play all the way down to the bottom floor and face the final boss and that alone is is like a raid adventure that you could spend quite a few hours going through with your friends and we're going to pair that you know that that whole like let's say Scala of PVE experiences, we're gonna pair that with our first implementation of gear, items, cosmetics, right? So not only will you be able to have these really great adventures uh, with your friends online in, in, in an Ember Sword environment, but you'll also be able to gear up your character, earn some new items, and even get some really kick-ass early adopter cosmetics already uh, to gear up your uh, your party uh, and take on these three very different experiences well dear listener that was that was a lot <laughs> so just to, to sort of reiterate and break these down because you and i have again off mic discussed this quite a quite a bit um the arena such as it is is going to be a test mostly of um our cinematic combat idea right the idea that you know uh how ember sword plays on a micro scale on like on a screen space you know what the enemies are going to do and then just to to drive the point home let's differentiate between the outdoor adventure and the dungeon raid because ostensibly those two experiences are almost are very similar in some ways how do they differentiate yeah, I would say the similarity is probably in that uh, both of them have a kind of a adventure nature to them, a kind of a guided, a kind of a quest nature to them. But of course, the 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 outdoor experience being a much more you know expansive, larger area and being more let's say discovery and more leisurely paced, right? Whereas you know dungeon raid that's more like up close, personal, tight 
timing based you know there's there's a certain pressure to it right you might find yourself trying to escape a floor as you know a whole slew of robotic creatures have been unleashed or you might find yourself having to defend a particular asset for a period of time that you have to protect you know let's say uh, uh you know this machine that you have to turn on to lower the bridge to the next segment things like that right so you know there's going to be a real pressure in these dungeon experiences it's a more intense owing to its nature and you know as a dungeon duh so well we've covered those and that's on the near horizon what what's after that what comes after these experiences yeah so after that uh, some of the things we've got coming up that you can kind of see segueing into this very naturally is is pvp right as you can imagine us having an arena experience already <laughs> pve is kind of a logical continuation uh, to tackle in there and it makes for a really clean environment to kind of start trying out uh, our differing PvP mechanics and seeing if that's just as fun as we imagined them. And well, then, yeah, the course... blood circle is already there. I mean, might as well use it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and then, of course, there is uh, player-owned land, which is going to be a big part of the Ember Sword experience, the fact that you can actually own a chunk of land and then you yourself, you know, decide what you place down there. And so that's definitely also one of the things we're seeing come in after that, where we we'll actually enable some of our like early adopters uh, to already own a chunk of land in the game to kind of set it up and to experience that with their friends. So, you know, kind of bringing the social element into the game. But, you know, rather than you being stuck with something as simple as a as a guild hall or apartment, <laughs> you'll you'll pretty much have your whole own piece of land uh, to to use as, as sort of the center of that universe, whether that's something that you want to share with everyone in the Ember Sword universe or whether that's something that you just want for your friends or your guild or, you know, whatever other group of people you want to bring in there. So on the topic of iterating on a game and, you know, creating something in stages, a while back uh, you told me a, a, a fantastic story about an MMO you worked on called Neocron, where <laughs> there was this one specific bug that was uh, characteristic to one character archetype, which was incredibly game-breaking, and you caught it just before launch, and it was like a lifesaver that you actually caught it. Can you please go into that? I love that story. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, actually, the funny thing is it, it wasn't even a bug, but it's, I think, a really good example of sort of what happens when you don't get enough testing in. And then, you know, especially with a, a game as massive as an MMO, uh, there's, you know, there's always going to be some piece of end game content or content that's kind of, you know, off on, on the edge of the world that people aren't going to explore. And, you know, no matter how good a job you thought you did on your Excel sheet, kind of just, you know, figuring out the initial numbers for all of these items, uh, yeah, it, it may not quite have turned out the way you imagined. And yeah, 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 this this particular story came from from Neocron, where we were in like sort of the last stages of testing. And, and I, I was, you know, involved in the testing for that uh, at the time. And 
yeah, something just really funny occurred there in the sense that there was uh, one of the character classes, which was a Psy monk that was kind of like the mage of, of Neocron, if you will, be, it being a cyberpunk world. Um, and, you know, they, they basically had, you know, their, their top skills that they could have were Psy and intelligence and those skills they could max out. And, you know, as they got higher in those skills, they would unlock different kind of Psy modules or spells, basically, that you could cast. And, like, right on the top end of the Psy spell spectrum, uh, there, you know, there were just... Uh, a bunch of spells that uh, started giving such little experience uh, that your leveling pace went so low that essentially no one was kind of making it past like level 82-ish out of 100 or something, right? And, and you know, if, if you were going to make it past that, it was going to take so long that basically... You know, no one would have completed that within that testing cycle, right? So we would have probably released it, <laughs> you know, before these kind of things uh, were, these, these kind of milestones were reached. And that kind of made that immediately a corner of the game that was, of course, rife with content that had never before been touched by players. And so, you know, me seeing kind of that nuke over there, I was like, okay, you know, better do something about that. Um, so I spent a while kind of looking into, uh, hey, how can we, uh, you know, just being a tester at the time, uh, how can I, how can I level this, uh, this, this character up fast enough? And uh, that was quite a challenge, as all of these spells that you had were just not giving enough XP. But then, like, I, I, you know, I kind of tripped onto something. Uh, which was a group heal spell uh, that, you know, that was fairly high level. And it had, it did have a bug, uh, which is that that group heal spell actually healed enemies as well, not just fellow players. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, um, and it had, it was quite a powerful spell. So basically um what i ended up doing is there was this this sort of sewer in which there were like three star which was sort of the top tier enemies giant spider queens that shot sort of these area of effect damage uh, abilities that also damaged other enemies uh and so i would literally you know i i parked myself in between a bunch of these spiders uh, and just constantly cast this group heal. And because it was not just healing me, but all of these sort of boss spiders, that was yielding actually a fair amount of experience. Uh, so obviously it was eating up my sort of mana, my Psy, like no tomorrow. So I had to buy actually like a whole lot of boosters uh, and just literally ended up writing a little macro that would just like inject a booster every time and then you know cast that spell three times and inject another booster and then i just left the character standing there for a few hours i think even a whole night just casting that spell a optimum strat and yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, <laughs> you know, exploits for the win. In, in in any case, you know, the 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 morning after I return and and my character, lo and behold, has crossed over level ninety in psi, uh, and suddenly, you know, these additional spells that 
previously were co completely inaccessible to the population were now <laughs> within my grasp and usable. And so your grasp I, alone, I should mention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like literally the only Psy monk on the entire beta server at that point that had reached that level. So, you know, I went to went into the shop, I immediately bought all these high-level spells, uh, and, you know, I just equipped one. And, and this was interesting, like, you know, there were typical spells that did different kinds of damage there so you had like energy spells and you had spells that did fire damage ice damage etc right kind of like a frost nova uh, but you also had a spell called fire barrel and that one i already had but you know then up there there was a spell called fire barrel number two right which was sort of <laughs> this area of effect ring of fire that just you know affected everything in a probably like you know 15 meter radius or something um, so, you know, Fire Barrel 1 was fairly decent. It was a good kind of area of effect group combat spell. Um, and so I equipped Fire Barrel number 2. And as I sort of made my way towards the, um, let's say, the, the zones where PvP was allowed, uh, in this case it was Pepper Park, for those of you who have ever played Neocron, uh, and, uh, and there was just you know a huge battle going on in at the entrance of of pepper park with one group of players sort of camped out outside of the entrance and the other group kind of trying to bust their way in probably sort of a 20 v 20 combat between you know tanks uh, uh dishing out really heavy weapon shots and uh, you know guys with automatic rifles and stuff like that and of course also psy monks running around healing everyone and and such so you know i figured well you know what better way to test this ability so i you know i took this fire barrel number two and i just knowing that is an area of effect spell kind of cast it into the uh into the entrance area which you know i couldn't really see who was there other than that you know really heavy artillery fire was coming from out you know coming out from it and you know i just saw the fire whoosh kind of out of that area then nothing happened for a couple of seconds and subsequently, like, 20 people on fire just haphazardly <laughs> ran out of it and, you know, got shot to shreds or died from the fire. <laughs> and, you know, one, one quick test later, and we had basically realized that the balancing on that spell was off by so much because, you know, the number was sort of interpreted in a more exponential manner rather than <laughs> a linear one, that essentially um, it would light people on fire for about 15 to 20 seconds, and that would kill absolutely anything in the game when it came to players. <laughs> like, literally, there was a, uh, a, a like an asbestos armor called, I think, the Inquisitor Armor Level 4, and if you equipped your entire character, like, full-on with only this level four asbestos anti-fire armor and you had like grabbed an entire stack of medkits and you were spamming the medkits continuously and i would light you on fire you would then die within about 10 seconds <laughs> there was just no escaping it in fact it was so hilarious that the only way uh for you to survive being lit on fire with fire barrel number two was a healing spell that was somewhere around level 90 as well and again i was the only person in the entire game world that could cast that particular spell so um 
on the one hand, we found a really, you know, a really game-breaking issue and managed to squish it before release. And on the other hand, I got to spend a couple of weeks uh, as some kind of, you know, malevolent god going around <laughs> the server uh, where I could point my finger at anyone to make them burst into flames and die. And, you know, for the, let's say, five to ten seconds that they lived through that, I was their only hope of salvation. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that I think is like a very good cautionary tale of what happens when you have uh, slightly less accessible content and a short test period. Uh, You may end up having the, you know, sort of (laughs) killing the whole zone spell (laughs) left in in your arsenal. And yeah, you can imagine what happens when people find out about that one post release. And this is why we have an iterative testing process, kids. And this is why Lauren is an executive producer and is not testing this at all. We do not want Ember Sword to explode in embers. Hey you, you made it to the end. Congratulations! That must mean you like us enough to want more, right? Well, good news! We're all over the internet. Go to embersword.com and subscribe to our newsletter for a chance to play the game early, as well as the latest interesting tidbits on the game and the team. Join our lovely Discord community over at discord.gg slash embersword. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at PlayEmbersword for regular updates on what we're up to. And remember the basics. Drink water, be kind to each other, and spread the word about Embersword.